I hope you made that link. There, hey. Love that film. If you haven't seen the film, can I encourage you to, um, to get it and to have a little look at it. Now, let's hope this isn't going to overbalance this table. Stay. Beautiful. Will it stay? Alrighty. Please, God. In, um, Jesus says this about children. He says, The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off, but Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children at the very centre of life in the kingdom, mark this unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get it. Get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. I love this passage when it comes to parenting. This would be one of my favourite passages of scripture. But there's a bit in there where it says, don't ever get between them and me. And I don't know about you, but the first time I ever read that, I kind of went, ooh, I wonder what that means. I wonder what it means to get in the way of children and Jesus. And so in some ways, that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit today, because this is last week, and I wanted to do one week on how we encourage children spiritually, because children are very spiritual beings. Research shows they see angels more than adults. Um, They're very sensitive to spiritual things. You can take children into areas, and they, they will sense the spiritual temperature very quickly. Our youth ask Um, very important questions that we as adults ask but often don't ask as vocally as as our teenagers. So our teenagers are constantly asking, what the hell am I here for? What's life all about? Um, Last week at the Pamper Night, I had one little girl. She raised the issue of bullying, but underneath the bullying question was, why can't I be part of the Pretty Girls Club? Where do I fit in in life? Who am I? What's my image, you know? Uh, why, why do I not fit here? Am I of any worth? Am I of any importance? Sometimes our children are looking for guides. They want somebody to guide them, to show them things. And other children are looking for something to hold on to um, or someone to show them the way in life. And um, so they're expressing this thing, which we as adults, if we don't answer that question as a teenager, we'll ask it again predominantly in our late 20s, as we hit that number 30. If we don't answer it in our, our 30, we'll, ent- we'll start asking it as we're near 40. If we don't answer it by the 40s, we'll ask it in our 50s. And every time we hit a zero, we will ask that question again. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Those kinds of questions. Because they're intrinsic questions and they're questions that only God can actually answer. They're actually responses that require this intimate relationship with God to respond to and to heal and to, to make that kind of a thing whole. But with children and youth, they, they look to parents predominantly for the answer to those questions. They're looking and asking parents. And whether they find that from the parent or not will depend on two things. One, it'll depend on whether the parents have found that for themselves. So do they, in actual fact, have the answer to that question? And then the second thing is whether they can identify with their parents enough that they want to incorporate what their parents are actually telling them. So do they want to... Do they... 
have a relationship strong enough with their parents that they actually want to adopt what their parents believe and value. Now, whether a parent um, has the answer to those questions or not will depend on their own journey of faith. It will depend on their own foundation. And for a child to to be given by a parent meaning in life and meaning about their identity and meaning about the... The big questions, is there a God that exists and is he real or not? They're actually going to be looking at your life to see whether God is real in your life. So they're not interested in how many verses you can quote or how many stories you know or whether you know Greek or whether you know Hebrew or whether you can interpret the Bible correctly or whether you can you know, recite the names of the books of the Bible or whether you can find a verse really quickly. They're not really interested in that. What children are interested in is, is your faith real? Will it actually stand the test of time? And one of the things that Jesus did so beautifully when he came, and he says this in John 17, he says in in this prayer, this beautiful prayer, he says it over and over again, but there's this one statement where he makes, where he says, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know you have sent me. I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So what he's saying there, what Jesus is praying and he's saying, I came to reveal you, Father. I came to show the people on planet Earth what you look like, what you sound like, what you feel like. And through me, they can know you. Now, as children, they want the exact same thing from you as parents. They want to be able to discover God in and through you. They're not interested in what comes out of your mouth. They're wanting to to touch and feel God in you. So if you don't have that real relationship, guess what? They're not going to follow you. They're not going to follow your footsteps because they're looking for for realness. They're looking for authenticity. They're not necessarily looking, have you got it all together? Are you perfect? They're not looking for that. They're looking for this realness. Can they tangibly touch God in your life? So they're asking questions like, does God strengthen in times of comfort? Does he give wisdom in times of confusion? Does he give correction in times of error? Does he give direction and guidance and yet doesn't send us out alone? Is he closer than a brother? Does the directions he gives us to carry out and have wonderful promises attached to them? Does he allow less and pain at times? But then does he replace that with healing and more? Does he patiently wait to be accepted? Does he feel distressed and hurt when we follow down the wrong path? Does he want to take care of us but refuses to force himself on us? Does he want to be our father? Our kids want to know whether our faith is real in a financial crisis, in a marriage crisis, in a child crisis, in a health crisis, in a work crisis, in all the seasons of life. Our children are looking, just like we look at Jesus, to kind of discover who God is. Our children are looking at at us to to discern whether God is actually real. And the only image they really have is us as parents. And so it's really important for us as parents to push in and get to know this God. I often say there's two ways of knowing God. There's a knowing about God and then there's a knowing, knowing God. 
And it's that knowing, knowing that your kids are going to be looking for. The second thing is, is that a child who doesn't feel loved and accepted will have real difficulty identifying with parents and their values. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about this emotional love tank and that children will never be at their best unless this love tank is full. And unless a child knows that they are unconditionally loved, it will be really, really, really difficult for them to accept your values and beliefs. Because otherwise what happens is if, it, if this tank's not full, they will feel um, that your love is conditional, so therefore they will resent your instructions. They will resent what you have to say. And then when, when you ask them to... Um, follow God or to act in a godly way or to be good, um, what they do is if this tank's not full, they just fire up and they become rebellious and they get angry. And if there's enough yaois in here instead of love, what they do is they go in the opposite direction to what you actually want them to go in. And as parents, we can frame that up as peer pressure or movie pressure, social media pressure. We can frame it up in anything you like. But when you get down to it, when you really get down into their soul, what it is 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 that they haven't felt um, unconditionally loved by their parents. And so they find it really hard to receive and accept that this God would unconditionally love them because they haven't experienced that for themselves. So if you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, the most important thing that you can do for them is to love them unconditionally, which means it means spending time with them, giving them focused attention. It means making eye contact with them. It means touching them, high-fiving them, no matter what they're doing, whether you agree with what they're doing, whether you don't agree with them. You need to learn to love them unconditionally. It doesn't mean you go along with everything that they do or say or agree with what they say. It just means that you love them despite their naughty, despite their, their bad wildness, whatever you want to call it. You just love them unconditionally. And that is the only way in which they're ever going to even consider God again is through unconditional love. You see, when we come to faith, the first thing that God gives us, and I actually believe God's giving it long before we come to faith. He's active in our life long before we're aware of it. The one thing that God gives before he gives any instruction, before he tells us or cleans us up or shapes us or makes us different, the one thing he does is unconditionally love us. And so as parents, this is what we need to give to our children over and over and over again until they've got it. And you know when a kid's got it because the conversations happen so much differently. They're more open, they're... um, more, they're warmer, they're, they're loving, they're, you know, you, can, you, you become really good friends. I often think this generation of parents, you're trying to be friends before your parents. The friendship thing comes after. You have to be a parent first if you want to be a friend later on because the kid needs to know that you unconditionally love them because in the child's eye, you are the parent, not the friend. So you have to be a parent first and pour into the children. Now, children are more emotional than cognitive, so they remember feelings more readily than facts. So children will remember how they felt in a particular situation more easily than they will remember the details of what went on. So then when it comes to um, churchy stuff or God stuff, they're not necessarily going to remember... um, 
what was said in a Sunday school program or what was said at a camp or what was said in youth group or they're going to remember the feelings. They're going to create memories of feelings around those things which will either be positive or negative and in the home they will also create memories around the parent's spirituality whether it was positive or negative and that will have more impact than the actual content of what you're actually trying to give. So if I, I can give you a little example. Last week, um, I was preparing for the um, Pampa event that we were having in the Tamar room. And as I'm preparing, this little 13-year-old, she comes up and she asks me what I'm doing. And I explained to her and she said, oh, could I come? I said, oh, if your mum wants you to come, yes, you're more than welcome to come. And then she said, I went to an event when I was a really little girl in that big room in there. And that made me feel so special. I just felt so special. And she cannot remember what went on. She cannot remember the story. She cannot remember the gift. She cannot remember anything. All that she knows is, is that when she came into that enchanted evening, event she felt special and that memory four to five years later is still present in her memory isn't that amazing but this is what happens with our children and our spirituality so in a practical way how can we um, how can we create some amazing memories and I think one of the most powerful ways is to tell story you know our brain is wired for story we remember story before we remember anything else. And um, we also um, used up less calories and all that kind of stuff with story. But there's, there's, when you sit and have a story, say at bedtime, you've already got touch, you've already got focused attention, so you're already emotionally loving your child. And then you tell this amazing story about who God is. And it can be a story from the Bible. Or it can be a story, one that you make up about what you and God are doing together. Um, and you're sitting there and you're having this. So the child feels emotionally loved, but they're also feeling the spiritual love. They're, you're creating this memory. I often think there's so many amazing stories. So for example, if you've got a foster child, what better story to tell than the story of Samuel and Moses? You know, two men in, a, in scripture who weren't, or even Esther for that matter, you know, three people whose own biological mother couldn't look after them. And you, you've got this amazing story of God's provision and care and love for those kids and how he met those kids and shaped their identity. And then they went on and they loved the world in which they lived and changed the world in which they lived. Now, isn't that a positive story for a foster kid rather than, oh, you were abandoned by your parents and you're going to have anxiety and you're going to have depression and you're going to have mental health issues the rest of your life? You know, like, wouldn't that be a much better story to tell a foster child? You know what? You may be a foster child. Your biological parent may not be able to look after you. But guess what? That doesn't matter to God. He doesn't give a rip about that because he still sees you and he still thinks you're wonderful. and He still thinks you're amazing. And he still has a destiny and a purpose on your life. And you know what? He's got awesome plans for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? What do you reckon a kid would feel when they heard that story? Or what about the story where Jesus is um, bullied by a crowd and he's almost pushed off a cliff, he almost loses his life, and you know that your kid's going through bullying issues at the school and you read that story and you go, wow, did you see how mean that crowd were? They were just awful um, to Jesus. He'd done nothing wrong and yet here they are picking on him. But did you see what God did? God just made a way for him to just slip through that bullying crowd to safety and then he just looked after Jesus and how amazing is that so you know what I know you're having a tough time at school but 
I reckon that tomorrow, I reckon you ought to look for how God's going to actually rescue you and actually make a plan the next day of how you can just slip out of that bullying crowd. Because this is, Jesus is, the God that met Jesus' need is still the same God today. I reckon your kid would be hooked on that, kind of go, whoa, God might be with me tomorrow. Wow, how amazing is that? Or for example... What about the story of um, where Jesus is there teaching in a home? Next minute, the roof's um, lifted off the, the house, and then there's these four men that um, lower down their, their sick friend because they want their friend to be healed. Can you imagine telling that to your, sto- to your kids to teach them about kindness? Who in your class do you think needs a little bit of kindness? Who do you think needs a little bit of care? You know, I know at the moment you've got that whole girl thing going on and it's not nice and all that. Maybe they just need a little bit of kindness or a little bit of love. Maybe we could put something in the lunch boxes or, and um, you could take and share your lunch box with the girls who are being a bit mean or I know what, we could pick up all those girls that are being mean and Let's go to McDonald's for lunch and then drop them back at the end of lunchtime. Do you you get what I mean? When you tell story and you make the story come alive for kids, they're going to have these amazing memories, but they're also going to begin to understand that the God of the Bible is still the God of today and he's interested in their world and he can relate to the world in which they're in. The other thing Tim and I did is we invited all sorts of crazy people into our home at the tea table um, to tell our children's story. So our kids heard um, stories from John De Bruin, for example, when he got kicked out of China because he took um, Bibles into China and he got caught and he got deported. And, you know, my kids are sitting there going, whoa, that's amazing. We had another one with Doug Duncan who who was um, talking about how he was trying to get through immigration and how, you know, he had the wrong papers and how God had to do this and God had to do that. And, you know, Doug's here giggling away and just telling this story of how God came through for him. Each one of you have stories. Can I encourage you to invite one another for a meal? Um, Invite people to your table. I remember when I went to the Ukraine with uh, Louisa, her visa, her passport was out of date. So we're here in this communist, ah, that stage Russian influence country and there is just armed security and she's standing behind me and she says, Sharon, my passport and visa thing's out of date. It's got the wrong dates on it. I said, well, we're going to have to pray for a a spot of blindness, aren't we? And so we pray. We're here praying. I get through and I'm going, is my friend going to come with me or not? And she managed to get through. They're amazing stories to tell your kids. And each one of you has amazing stories of how God has come through for you. But those kind of stories just make things come alive for kids. I often think that um, sometimes um, in our sharing of story, we, we, we don't understand how to articulate clearly what you and God are doing together. We, we kind of forget about the kids. We kind of compartmentalize our spirituality and, and we kind of go, this is parenting over here rather than taking the kids on the journey. And so in terms of our own love tank and our own spirituality, sometimes when we're trying to communicate with kids about our journey with God, what God and I are doing together, the kids can't see it because it's pretty murky 
because we're not clear in our communication and we don't understand about taking kids on a journey with us. You know, um, I remember in the early years of our marriage, we had a housing loan of 19 uh, percent. We had a business loan of 22 something percent. We were on an income of about 50 grand and we had kids and there wasn't, we were church planning and there just wasn't a lot of money. <clears throat> and um, this particular week we had rice every night, breakfast, lunch and tea, you know, rice goes a long way. And um, we're here praying at every mealtime, dear Jesus, this meal's really boring, we thank you for it, but we would really love something different, can you please give daddy um, an extra bonus in his paycheck or bring some money in somehow. And then when Tim got his bonus, it was so cool um, because we were all able to celebrate because that was something that we had been praying about. When we were thinking about buying shearwater, I remember sitting on the um, table down near the shearwater beach, the house that we were thinking of buying down there, and we asked the kids about it, and they said to us, oh, you know, we sort of said, do you think that God would like us to buy this house? And the kids went, well, it's a bit uh, fancy and a bit expensive. Um, I suppose we could get it, but I think that God would want us to share it. And so that's where, why our shack is shared with pastors and leaders who are tired and burnt out is because that's what the kids felt that God was saying to us as a family. Rachel probably doesn't remember that one. But anyway, when we were church planning, um, we had four packs. So we had a pack at home, we had a pack down here, we had the pack up down here, and then we had the pack at home. And often I would even take the uh, morning tea things home to put through our dishwasher. And you've got to remember, our children were toddlers. They were still in prams, they still had dummies, they still had uh, pink blankets. Rachel wasn't even born at the time, she wasn't even thought of, poor thing. But, uh, you know, that whole process um, wasn't easy. You think about your, your mornings, if you're a young, uh, young mum, you think about your mornings with a baby and then you put a church plant on top of that and it was quite an interesting morning. But you know what? Our kids were just part of that adventure and they saw it as an adventure and they knew that if we didn't pray that God would bring some people to church, that there would be no one that would turn up. So from a very young age, they learned how to pray. And I remember at kindergarten one day, I came to pick up Jono from kindy and... Um, He's, he's had a wonderful time, but this mum comes to me and she says, Sharon, Jono said that I had to come and talk to you because apparently you've started a church for people like me who have a lot of needs <laughs> and need a lot of help. Well, and I, so we had this amazing conversation. And um, anyway, can you imagine the excitement Jono as a kindergarten kid had when that mum came to church on Sunday? Can you imagine the high-fiving that happened in the car on the way home? Because his little invitation, he was part of the adventure. It wasn't, this is what mummy and daddy are doing over here. It's, this is part of our adventure. This is what we are a part of. And it was exciting and it was thrilling. And you know, one of the reasons why kids get bored is, isn't because of the church. Like you can't say that this church is boring. You know, the vision's big, the mission's big, the faith adventure's big, the problems are big. Um, the, the number of people that we pour love out on in any given week is um, big. Uh, our kids have never struggled with um, being bored at church. They actually loved holidays because it meant a break from God and it meant they didn't have to stretch in any shape or form. But you know what? One of the reasons why kids give up on spirituality is because parents are boring. We have boring faith. 
And then when teenagers get to being teenagers or young adults and they're wanting to slay dragons and they're wanting to do wild stuff and they're, they're wired for wildness and nobody's told them they can't do anything and the parents are just boring, just boring. They've never seen faith and so the only thing that they're left to do is wild bad because nobody's ever showed them how amazing wild good can look like, what the adventure of doing wild good can actually look like. What does wild love look like? What does wild kindness look like? What does wild mercy look like? What does wild giving look like? What does wild generosity look like? What does wild hospitality look like? And somehow we think that when a kid comes in and we're raising them and, you know, we put them on the brochure roster and the setup roster and the sound roster and they're plugging and we think that that's, that's it and that's going to entice them. Well, I'm sorry, but when they're teenagers, it's not going to be enough because they want wild. They've got dragons to slay. In the, in, in the DNA of young people is this thing where they want to conquer the world and create new things and change things and do amazing things. But often they feel they can't find it in Christianity because of what they see is boring parents who don't share. Maybe the parents are doing wild, good things, but they don't share it. And so it looks murky because they've forgotten to take the kids on the journey with them and to explain it with and for them. Now that I've offended you all. You see, the problem is, is, is that a kid will never say to their parents, you're boring. They, they'll find it easier to say church is really boring rather than you're boring, your faith is boring. You see, sometimes we give our money out of what we, have, what we can spare rather than out of faith. We give our time out of what we're prepared to give in our busy little world, not out of the adventure with God, like maybe there's somebody that he wants you to love today and it requires you to take a detour in your life. but we can't because we're so restricted by time. Most of us love out of our comfort zone, not about getting into spaces where we've never been and where we have to trust God. And yet our young people are looking for faith. They're looking for adventure. They're looking for excitement. They're looking for wildness. And the way in which the church in the last decade have addressed that question is, when a kid says they're bored, we go, oh, well, we need to buy a smoke machine and we need to get some more fancy, fancy lights that are happening and the preacher has to preach a bit louder and we have to pray a bit louder and we have to prophesy a little bit more and we have to sing that song four times because then the anointing of God will come if we sing it the fourth or the fifth time. And somehow we think that within the show that somehow our kids are going to not be bored <laughs> with spirituality but it lasts for a little while. It works for a little while, but it doesn't actually work deep in their soul because what they're hungering for is they're, they're like we are with Jesus where we actually want to become like Jesus, <laughs> where we want to have that same remarkable, adventurous um, spirit that he did. That's what the young people are looking for, and they're looking for it in us as parents. I'll never forget... Um, when we um, had the miracle offering for the chapel, Tim and I were at home and 
Tim asked the question, how much do you think that people will give today for the chapel? And I said, 150,000. And he went, oh, honey, please don't be disappointed, you know. He said, the church have given, there's nothing left to give. If they give 20,000, I think we should be really happy. And I really don't want you disappointed because you know how angry you get when you get disappointed. And um, anyway, come miracle offering time, and the church gave $170,000. And you know what? Sitting around that table at lunchtime, our kids were high-fiving. Did you see that? How amazing was that? Mum's face, just incredible. Dad, yours is boring. Get a life. <laughs> I'm kidding. It wasn't quite like that, but it's true. <laughs> You know, they saw God at work. You know, when we had our first miracle offering for this building, I'll never forget it. You know, beautiful Chicky, she had donated year in, year out, year in, year out in faith um, an offering, and that had impacted our young adults. And then we had this week of faith where we had guest speakers come in and to stir up our faith and our belief. And um, I remember when we took up that offering, some of our young people who are now leaders and who are just going for God and doing amazing things, they bought their new Xboxes. They bought their toys. They, they bought what they had in their little bank accounts and um, piggy banks, and they bought it and they laid it down because they wanted to be a part of the adventure, because they were excited to do wild, good things for God. But see, they can only do that if their parents are actually already doing it. Because every one of those young people that did it, it was their parents who also gave in abundance. It was their parents that had bought into their adventure. It was their parents who were taking faith risks. It was their parents who knew that God would have to come through for them. Otherwise, what they were promising to give and to do would never happen. And each one of those young people saw their parents went, I want that kind of faith that my parents have got. I want their wild good. I want to go on that kind of adventure. I remember um, when our Tim had a stroke and, you know, it's not just the, the wildness, it's, it's also how we do life. When Tim had his stroke, I remember ringing one of our teaching pastors and saying, look, Tim's had a stroke, you're going to have to do the message this Sunday. And, you know, I think it's going to be all hands on deck for a little while because I just don't know how this is going to impact. And the first response to me wasn't, sure, got it, Sharon, not a problem. It was, I will need extra days off then to cope. And I remember getting off the phone and I remember just crying. And Jono came to me and he said, Mum, what's wrong? And I explained and I said, I just feel so alone. I feel like I've got to manage all these balls over here and balls over here and then look after your dad over here. And I just feel really overwhelmed. And he, he just said, let's just pray for help. Let's pray for help. And you know, Jossie, um, the next day, I think it was, Jossie drove from Hobart for 10 minutes, two hours there, two hours back. He, had, he was in the middle of a speaking engagement. He came for 10 minutes to let it, Tim know how much he loved Tim and how much he cared for Tim. And he prayed for us as a family. My friend Ruth Wayne, uh, husband Wayne, he rang and he said, Sharon, do you need me for the weekend services? Anything you need, we'll be there for you. I also had three business friends outside of the church say they came deliberately they came put their arm around me and they said Sharon if anything happens to Tim we're here for you we will help you you won't be alone you know my kids saw God meet an emotional need they saw that adventure I remember the um 
the struggle of teaching children about um, forgiveness and anger and conflict and how difficult that is. You know, we don't do anger well. We do either the fight or the flight. It's very hard to teach your children Jesus' way, which is either covering over somebody else's sin or trying to work out um, the difference that you have with one another in conversation. And when they were little, I remember one day, the, the, one evening, the door just being flung open and this big South African man just came into our lounge area and he just started screaming and yelling and telling Tim and I we were going to hell and and um, what terrible leaders we were and how far away we were from God. And you can imagine as small children how fearful that experience would have been. And I remember taking them into another room and I remember praying with them and saying we need to extend grace and forgiveness and love and we need to pray for this man because he needs help, he needs kindness, he needs love, he needs um, beauty in his life. And so there in that space, we're here teaching our children about reconciliation and about forgiveness and about grace and about love. You see, you have to take your children on the journey with you because they're hungry to know who Jesus actually is. And they want to know that he's real. We prayed for many years that God would show us um, our kids' purpose And one year whilst Tim was in India, God gave him three distinct pictures of the kids. And over the years, we began to pray those pictures over our children. And um, in Psalms, it says this, In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. You know what? God has thoughts about your days. He has thoughts about your life. But you want to know something? As a parent, he has thoughts and plans for your children. He has a purpose for your your children. And he will share his thoughts and his mind with you when he knows that he can trust you with what he has ordained with them. And you know what? It is a privilege. It is um, a sacred privilege when... You ask God, what is it that that you intend for my child? And he gives you a very clear picture. He gives you a very clear picture. The picture he gave for Michael was of, of being a lion. And you think about the industry that he's in and, and the dreams that are on his heart. He's going to need to roar like a lion. He's going to have to be strong. I remember with Rachel, the, the um, words were about her having this incredible organisational gift that of the three of them, she would be the best organiser of, of the three. She's amazing at organising. She leaves me for dead when it comes to being efficient and organised. And for Jono, it was about him being this gentle, pastoral, strong leader. And we can all see that starting to come into existence. See, God has a purpose and a plan for your children. I would ask, if I was a parent, I would be asking, God, what's your plan for my child? What's your hope for my child? What's your purpose for my child? And watch what he shares with you. I would love to think as a church, we have incredible power over your child's life, but we don't. We see your children on average 90 minutes a week. You give them 168 hours a week. 
They're watching your life 168 hours. They're watching us 90 minutes. Guess who has the most influence? If your kids are bored, it's not necessarily because of the church. It's not necessarily because of the kingdom of God. It's not necessarily because God is boring. It may actually be because you are boring. Your faith is boring. And it may be that you're you're living this adventure, but maybe the kids can't see it because you're not communicating with them. You're not clearly articulating what's going in your world. You've segmented parenting and spirituality. You've wanted to contain it to to knowledge as opposed to experience. And I love this verse from um, Colossians. It says here, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along. And parents, you can do this. Don't shuffle along looking at the everyday boring stuff. Along eyes to the ground, absorbed with, absorbed with the things right in front of you. You know, we can get absorbed with meals and school and holidays and routines and rhythms and all of that. Look up. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And when you start seeing things from his perspective, you'll be surprised at how much your kids want to come on the journey with you. Because innate in your child's DNA is this desire to do life with God, but to do life with God wild good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you I want to thank you for your goodness to my children and to the children that they grew up with. I want to thank you for the goodness that you're already um, bestowing on the children in this, in this congregation. And I see you doing awesome things in their life. I love the, the, um, the generation of teens that we have, you know, Esther and Hope and Talia and Ethan and Katrina Father God, they're amazing. You have a call on their life. I love the way in which they serve. I love the way in which they love. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in their life. Father, I look at the next generation down, the real little ones. Father, again, I see you working in their life. I see little calls. I see... You know, ones that have a call for preaching and some who have a call for the prophetic and some who have this amazing mercy gift and some who have this leadership gift. It's all there, this kindness. I look at Chase and, you know, he's, he's just got this mercy gift on his life. Father God, you love the children. You call them. You want to do relationship with them. You adore them. Father God, help us to open up our faith journey, our faith life, so that our kids can see you in our life. They don't want perfect, I know that. They want to see us coming to you for grace and forgiveness. They're wanting to see us asking for mercy. They're wanting to see us fall and fail at times and cry and get upset because we thought we were going on an adventure with you and then fell flat face down in the mud and had to get ourselves back up again and learn how to get back up with you. They want to see you in us. Father God, help us to break that open for them. Help us to either begin living this adventure, getting out of our couch, 
getting into the adventure of doing life with you. Father God, help us to be able to communicate that adventure more clearly so that then they can see it and want to be a part of it. But Father, more than all of that, I just pray. Just pray that the children of this house and the children of this city will understand the power of love and the power of what it is to do wild good on planet Earth. You have positioned Australia at a time of influence. You've positioned savvy women, savvy mothers, savvy fathers. You know, we are skilled, we are educated, we have resource, we have power, we have influence, like no other country on the planet that I see at the moment. And Father God, we can release that for goodness or we can hold on to it for selfishness Father God may we go on such big adventures that our children will just grow up understanding that they can influence the nations they can influence the world they can influence things for goodness Father God I pray I pray for a new generation to rise up and to understand what you're doing and what you're seeing may we see what you see may we want to do and be part of what you're doing Bless the children, I pray, and may we never come between you and them. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take communion. The guys are going to sing um, a beautiful song. So just come and take communion um, when you feel ready.